Father, we just want to settle our hearts, Lord, as we, we come just to read your word, as we come just to explore your word. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you just to bring truth into our hearts. Just speak to us now. In Jesus' name we ask all of this. Amen. John chapter 15, I'm going to read just a few verses from verse 12 through to 17, and it says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in, my, in the name of my Father, I will give you. This is my command, love each other. And this word love, I, I guess we, we often use very flippantly, don't we? It's so easy to say, I love. It's quite easy. And it's, actually, as soon as someone maybe falls in love with a boyfriend or girlfriend, it seems they've almost immediately fallen in love, and then they fall back out of love again, and they get into another relationship, and they fall back into love again. And is that love? See, love, love takes time. It takes energy. And many people struggle to know what real love is. And then we say, I love chips. I love chocolate. In the same breath we say, I love my wife, I love my, my husband. It's not very flattering, is it really? It's a bit like, remember that old advert a number of years back, Daddy or Chips? You remember it? Daddy or Chips? And, and we sort of boil down love to this idea, this relationship is no more than our relationship with, with things. And then we come to the Word of God again, and we read these words from Jesus, and Jesus says that we are to love each other. What, what does Jesus really mean when he tells us you are to love one another? Certainly don't miss out on the importance of this. It's so important to Jesus that actually he repeats this over and over again. Love one another just like I have loved you, love, love, love one another. And if it's important to Jesus, it should be also important to us as well. So how should we love one another? Well, the answer here says, as he has loved us. But actually to understand this answer, we need to understand Jesus' love because his love shows who he really is. And therefore, it's the same love among his followers that show who we really are. So what is this love? Well, I'm just going to mention just some thoughts of what I think Jesus is saying here about this sort of love. And love is generous and it is sacrificial. Have you ever watched, have you ever watched a man sort of wandering around lost and confused in the, in the woman's section of, the, of, of a department store, something like Marks and Spencer's, just looking for a gift? 
You can spot him very easily. You see, he's standing almost motionless in an aisle. The, the, the sweat is breaking on his forehead, and, and he looks this, this look of fear in his eyes. His normal habitat is among the appliances and among the technology, and he's comfortable there, but now that he's standing on the edge of the woman's clothing section, or worst of all, the laundry department, the sweat rings are already beginning to show under his armpits, and he's almost frozen to the spot. I have been that man. Before Rachel and I got married, I bought her perfume virtually every year for Christmas. It's easy. But after we got married, I thought, I need to be a bit more creative, so, so I need to buy her something much more thoughtful for my beautiful wife. So I began to ask the people at work if they had any ideas of what I could get them, and they said, well, why not buy her something personal? How about some nice lingerie? I thought, I can do that right up to the moment I got to the edge of the laundry department, and I just froze. It's like this invisible wall in front of me. I just couldn't quite break through it. The, the beads of sweat were beginning to trickle down my, my face. I felt self-conscious. I began to think everybody's watching me. I became so... I simply... Actually, I ran away. I simply wasn't brave enough. I felt dizzy. I, I felt faint. I just couldn't do it. I was in an alien world where I just didn't belong. All I wanted was a gift. So I walked straight over to the perfume <laughs> counter. And I spoke the only word that could come into my head at that moment. Do you have any Chanel? Cost me a fortune. I didn't care. Anything was better than what I just had to go through. And the, the things that we will do to get gifts for those that we love. But the thing is, actually, we are at our very best when we're giving, are we not? We actually are willing to be generous and loving despite our greed. But how much more does Jesus, the pure and the perfect Son of God, love to give good gifts to us? The true love is sacrificial, and none has ever been so sacrificial as the love of Jesus Christ for us. His gifts shed light on God's heart, God's good and generous heart. James 1:17. every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, from whom there is no variance or shadow due to change. Now, listen, there are many people in this world who are very generous. They give so much, in fact, even willing to face death on behalf of others. But Jesus has done something even greater. He was willing to bear unimaginable painful suffering, the suffering that you deserved, listen, while you were enemies of him. And every gift reveals his love, but no gift reveals his love more than the gifts of the cross. There he was cut off from the love of the Father. And as Jesus hung on that cross between heaven and earth, abandoned by his friends, destroyed by his enemies, and experiencing the wrath and the judgment of God for your sins. Listen, there is no greater love than this. Max Licardo, in his book, He Chose the Nails, talks about all that Jesus has done for us. He said, we rightly focus on the gift of the cross itself, but what about the other gifts? What about the nails? 
the crown of thorns, the garments taken by the soldiers, the garments given for burial, they came not wrapped in paper but in passion, not placed around a tree but on a cross, not covered with ribbons but sprinkled with blood. These are the gifts of the cross. Have you taken time to open these gifts? See, he didn't have to give them. The only act that was required for our salvation was the shedding of blood. Yet he did much more, so much more. And as you search the scene of the cross, what do you find? The nails, the thorns, the whipping, the beating, the spitting, the the, the wine-soaked sponge, the mocking sign. Divine gifts that should stir our hearts to whisper, you did this for me? Did he really do all of this for me? Yes, he did it just for you. This is true sacrificial love. This is Jesus. And God, God has always commanded that we love one another. But this love comes with a newness at the cross that is unique. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, he sets a whole different standard altogether. That's why Jesus describes this as a new commandment. This greater love, this perfect love is what will and in fact should fuel our love. If you haven't been loved by Jesus in this extraordinary and unpredictable way, we are to love one another in the same way. The love that we are to show is a love that we have already received from Jesus by his spirit at work in our lives. John 13, 35 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus has promised that this is the way in which we're going to prove to a watching world that we belong to him. The love that we share will be undeniably supernatural in origin and there will be no other way of counting for it other than by the truth of Jesus. And there's no limit to the impact of this. This promise is good for all contexts, at all times, for all generations. This is the work of the Spirit, but it's worked out in community. You cannot obey this command in isolation. You need to be part of the Christian community. And this sacrificial love will only be seen, in fact it will only grow, if we are around people who sometimes are difficult to love. Welcome to church. Love. Love is sacrificial. Love is generous. But also love is consistent. See, we all need proper friends in life. And Jesus is the truest friend of all. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. Proverbs 27, 9 goes on. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. And good friends are consistent. They remain friends in the good times as well as the bad times. They always stick around. They're not just there because we're useful to them. They're always honest. They're prepared to say hard truths even when it's uncomfortable. So perhaps one of the greatest things that Jesus says in this little passage is says that we are no longer servants, verse 14 and 15. 
the servant is given instructions to follow. They, they just follow detailed advice. But a friend is given inside information on what is going on. They know all of the background. You will guard what you say to others, but to a friend, you will be completely open. Tim Keller once said that true friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. This is why we need friends so much. This is why there is no greater friend than Jesus. And Jesus has amazingly let us in. He has passed on to us everything that the Father has given to him. This is an extraordinary openness. So you read in the book of James, James tells us that we can become a friend of God. And he uses Abraham as his example James 2.23, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. And James shows us that believing in God, being justified, makes us a friend of God's. If we put our trust in Jesus, we're not just servants, we're not just acquaintances, we become his friends. Because Jesus Christ became our substitute on the cross, we are made just or right with God. We were guilty, but Jesus Christ has given us his righteousness. And justification takes place when God declares us righteous when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I call you friends. Don't miss the strength and the, the implication of that. God of all creation says, I call you friends. It's incredible. And the message that John really wants us to understand is that Jesus is the ultimate friend. He is the one also that sets the ultimate example that we need to be following. He proves his ultimate friendship to us in a number of ways. He is consistent. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is truthful. He tells you what you are truly like through the work of his spirit. Yes, we get to know God in this process, but actually the spirit reveals what we are also like as well. But his greatest demonstration of friend, of friend, of friend, friendship is down of his life for you. He is the friend who perfectly measures up to every yardstick for friendship in all of Scripture. Now, most of us have got plenty of acquaintances, but very few friends. In fact, even some of the people who we think as friends can prove to be unfriendly and unfaithful, and even the most devoted friend can fail us in moments of need. And, and Jesus, he knew all about this. Remember Peter, James, and John, they fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they should have been praying, they were sleeping. Later on, Peter goes on to deny Jesus. The rest of the disciples were nowhere to be seen. And our friendships to one another and to Jesus is not perfect. However, we need to understand and always remember that his friendship to us is absolutely perfect. And we are in danger sometimes of comparing our relationship to Jesus to perhaps the imperfect relationship with one another. We must never do that. His friendship never lets you down. It is consistent in each and every situation. So how do we live this out? Well, as a follower of Jesus, we 
are described in the Bible as both a servant, but also as a friend. So Paul writes his letter to the Philippians. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. So there seems to be no conflict here between being a friend, but also being a servant. So a, a friend of a king could be close to him and, and know his secrets, but would also be subject to him and have to obey his commands. And again, a good example of this in the scriptures is Abraham. The friend of God, who was also a servant of God. So in Genesis chapter 18, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in Genesis chapter 18, he, gives, he, he, he gets this visit from the Lord. From two angels come and they, they're on their way to investigate Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin of this of these peoples. And even though Abraham is nearly, what, around about 100 years old at the time, he gets up from his afternoon nap, he greets his friends, or sorry, greets his visitors, and he feeds them with a lovely meal. Abraham makes sure that he sees to all of their needs. Twice in that chapter, he refers to himself as a servant. The old man is running around encouraging others to perform their tasks properly and quickly. Just a perfect example of a servant. He doesn't even sit to eat with them. Like a true servant, he stood nearby, ready to do anything that they wanted. However, in the last part of that chapter, Abram is standing still in the presence of God, communing with God. Now listen, he's still a servant, but now he's a friend. And as a friend of God, God heard and shared, or sorry, Abram heard and shared in God's And God says to him, can I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? It's a bit of a rhetorical question because actually we find that God shares everything with his friend, Abraham. And this is the kind of relationship that Jesus is talking about when he calls his disciples friends. It's a relationship that we as followers of the Lord Jesus have with him as well. In one sense, we obey, we follow as servant, but actually we are friends. We're friends of the King of kings and the Lord of everything. And this relationship is based on love, both for Jesus, but also for one another. And a friend of the King should not, in fact, cannot compete with one another for attention or for, or for promotion their one purpose, in fact, our one purpose, is to serve the king. Consistent love. And Jesus commands this. Jesus commands the disciples to love one another, which again raises probably an interesting question. Can true love be commanded? What if I don't feel like it? What if I'm not in the mood, I'm having a bad day, can, can true love really be commanded? Well, Christian love is not about feelings, it's an act of the will. The proof of our love is not in how we're feeling, but in our actions, even to the extent of laying down our lives for Jesus and for one another. First John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And we see how Jesus lays down his life both for his friends, but also for his enemies. Consistent love. Romans 5.10 also talks about this. For if while we were enemies, God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So while emotions are certainly involved in our love, we don't remove our emotions from them completely, so they are certainly involved. Real Christian love is a choice that you make. It means treating others the way in which God has treated you. As you take a moment to think what Jesus Christ has done for you as we took communion together earlier on, the blood that was shed for us, the body given up for us, the sacrificial love so generous to us, but also so consistent to us. Surely it means that we live in such a way to others as well. But there's a third thing here, that love is humble. As we've said already, one of the greatest privileges we have of being a friend of God is that you learn to know God better and to get in on God's secrets. God reveals himself to you. And everyone can be as close to God as they choose to be. See, it's not God who puts up the barriers. We do that all too easily on our own. But if we are his friend, we will be near his throne. We'll be listening to his word. We'll be enjoying his intimacy. We'll be obeying his commands. But you need to always remember that you, that you have this privileged position only because of grace. You did not choose him. He chose you. You have been graciously chosen, appointed and set apart by Jesus in order that you can go into this world to bear fruit. So as we heard, I think it was two weeks ago, about the vine tree. Everything you have comes through being a branch that is connected into the vine. You share his life, his love. You bear fruit only because of him. And you're called to be his personal ambassador to tell others about the king and his great salvation. And as branches, yes, we are pruned by the Father, but as friends, we are instructed by the Son, and the Spirit controls our lives as we submit to Him. And the evidence of true sonship, of discipleship, of friendship, is fruit. And true fruit will remain. Whereas man-made fruit will, will disappear. See, fruit has within it the seed for more fruit. So this process should go on and on. It should grow and grow. Whatever is born of the Spirit has the mark of eternity within it, and it will last. But being a friend of the King is a humbling experience. Love is vulnerable. Love is humble. He chose. He leads. You follow. We must keep this in mind lest we become proud or presumptuous. You need to keep your ears open and listen to everything that he says. Psalm 25, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. You must be attentive and alert to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And what's God saying to you? Do you, do you take time out each day to spend time with God? And what's God speaking? What's the Holy Spirit just just doing, as Rachel was sharing earlier on, as God puts something upon your heart, you step out in obedience to do that. 
See, the purpose of all of this is that we obey him as we get, so that we get the job done. The king has got a task that needs to be done, and if you love him, you will want to obey him. In fact, your greatest joy should be to please him. So you will seek to bear fruit that will last and will bring glory to the Father. And this chapter began in the vineyard, and now it ends in the throne room. But the very next chapter goes straight into a battlefield that describes the hatred of this lost world. Listen, if you're not abiding as branches and obeying as friends, you will never be able to face the opposition of this world. And if you do not love one another, what hope do you have of loving the lost men and the women of this world? And if you're not walking together as friends of the king, you will never be able to present a united front against the enemy. John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. You end up paralyzed, fearful, ineffective. So the friend of the king must not just love him, but love one another. And what joy it brings to him to see us loving one another and working together to obey his commands. But if you abide in him, if you stay close to the throne, you can do anything he commands you to do. He says, if you, anything you ask in my name, I will give it to you. What a privilege. What a challenge. What a responsibility. Love each other as Jesus has loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Father, I pray that I would apply that to my life to my friends here this morning. Father, I want to pray that, Lord, as we've been speaking, as we've been spending time in your word, that something of an understanding, of a revelation of your love has taken root in our hearts afresh today. As we've taken communion, as we've worshipped, as we've shared your word together, Lord, reveal yourself even now by your Spirit. Father, may your word be applied to my life and to our lives. That, me, that we would know, first of all, how much we are loved. And secondly, that we would show that love to the person sitting beside us, behind us, in front of us. To the person that we will meet as we go down to the park, to the person we'll meet tomorrow in work, to the people that we'll meet in the market, in the shops. Lord, this is only a work of your Spirit. So Lord, we acknowledge our need of you. So Holy Spirit, I pray. Father, send your Spirit afresh. Fill us, Lord, afresh for this day, for this week, for the glory and for the honor of your precious name. Amen.
Amen.